Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You can now find the Mad Sounds podcast on Twitter. We are at Mad Sounds London. As ever, I'm joined by the one and only Matt Maynard. One and only Matt Maynard. So modest. I'm so fucking modest. Welcome to the Mad Sounds podcast. I think we're just excited because today on the podcast, we have football journalist Tim Stillman. And in our second edition of the record store, we're going to be talking about three of his favourite albums. Uh, similar similar to what we did with Boyd Hilton. We're going to go through and quiz him on you know, why he likes the record and what his favourite tracks are. Matt, which one are you looking forward to the most? You're not wrong, William. I am so excited because he's picked three belting albums. And with Boyd yesterday, it, oh, sorry... <laughs> With Boyd, when, when we recorded with him, it was, it was an education. We liked the records. It was good to, to hear about these songs. We hadn't really sessioned them before, but with these records, we know them back to front. Well, certainly, we know two of them. One of them is one of my favourite records of all time. One of them is one of your favourite records of all time. We, I cannot wait to get to Tim to see what he thinks of Yeah, absolutely. We've both got our tails up at the prospect of even just chatting about these albums. Um, but let's give you a bit of background, Tim. Tim is a football journalist who covers uh, Arsenal, Arsenal women, uh, predominantly women's football. Um, he's a fantastic writer and I think he, we're going to be great to get his insight on the album. So without further ado, here's the chat. How, how are you coping without football? <laughs> yeah, yeah, OK, actually. All right. Um, yeah, I, it's weird. I kind of miss it, but at the same time, like I've I've adapted to all of this like um, really quickly, and um, like I've got a baby on the way in July. So um, frankly, I'm gonna I'm gonna have other things to do pretty yeah. pretty quickly. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Like it, it, you know how time's passing really quickly and really slowly all at the same time <laughs> at the moment. It kind of yeah. it kind of feels like it feels like this has been going on forever, and yet not that long at all all at the same time and it's all yeah it's all just it's very weird i guess it still feels a bit like pre-season but yeah. um it, we're getting to the stage where like this is going to go on longer than a pre-season and so yeah i think maybe in like another month or so it will feel like age. and are you anticipating what could happen which is this big explosion where we have loads and loads of football in a short space of time <laughs> are, you, are you ready for that yeah um although i i i I don't know i think um i think it might be like quite phased at first um like you know the way they finish the season i think they'll come up with some kind of playoff thing to finish the season because like you know the the in all likelihood will be a second spike and all of that and they might have to slow things down again so i kind of wonder if they'll go a bit slowly slowly um i don't think the euros will happen um next summer personally Wow. Um, or at least not in that format. Like they right. might, I, they might just give it to, they might just say to like Germany, like, okay, you guys are pretty sorted out. You've got the stadium. Yeah. You can do it. Like uh, there's no way it can go ahead in a year. Yeah. Like, in its current, I don't well, Yeah. Well, f- think, think, fingers crossed does go across because we, we, we all have a tournament regardless if we're mm. like, missing football or not. I, we, we wish we could talk about football 
all episode, but we're here <laughs> to chat about something completely different, which might be refreshing for you, Tim. Um, yes. This is our uh, second edition of the Record Store, and uh, in which we asked the guests to bring three albums on with them, a bit of show-and-tell style interview, and talk about them. So the first album you've gone for is Bleach, which was released yep. in 1989 by Nirvana. Uh, and what me and Matt with we, we love giving these albums like a re-listen, so we're fresh, fresh off the press from listening to them. And Absolutely. this album is so heavy. And you don't, mm-hmm. you forget how grungy and really, really heavy it is. It's such a grunge album, isn't it? It's their first album in 89. So um, our first question for you, Tim, is why did you choose this album? So I chose this album. So all three of my albums are like quite deliberate because I didn't want to get too self-indulgent. And I wanted to talk <laughs> about like three relatively big bands that have got yes. like, you know, quite big. Like no, no one's going to be scratching their head thinking, no, what the hell course. is this? And um, so I'm, I'm a ridiculous Nirvana fan. Like, right. I think most people are Nirvana fans, um, but like, I'm a really, really like absurd Nirvana fan. And I think no one believes me when I say that this is my favorite <laughs> Nirvana album. Because oh, yeah. Like, oh, of course. Yeah. It's, it's the least popular of the three, right? But, Massively, yeah. But, and when, yeah. And when, where were you when, when you first listened to it? Because obviously it was out in 89. You will yeah. still have been quite young. Were you a bit later. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was five when this came out. So I had absolutely no, uh, kind of unlike the other two albums I've chosen, like this didn't come into my purview until well after it was released until Mm. like, I went through the kind of the normal Nirvana phase, i.e. I got to Nevermind first. Yeah. And the thing is, when you listen to this and you listen to Nevermind, it's it's very difficult to believe they're only two years and one album apart. In one respect, this is really different because, like you say, it's really grungy and it's really yeah. heavy, but the tunes are there. Like, the pop tunes are there. It's very, like... I always thought I could hear Girls Aloud singing some of the songs that are on Bleach if you <laughs> produce them differently. Like, there's very, very poppy. But the thing is, like, I, I've had, like, a problem subsequently with Nevermind in that... The songs are brilliant, but I hate the way it's produced. Really? It's like it was produced by Butch Fig and it's so 1991 and it's so MTV. It's so like it really dates it. Whereas when you listen to the songs on like Unplugged, I think they're much better. The thing I like about this album, it's not produced at all. um, And it's just so dark and so heavy. Um, And they don't have Dave Grohl at this point. They have Chad Channing, um, who's vastly inferior drummer to Dave Grohl. But it just gives it this really like, to me, this is like, this record is like the essence of Nirvana. It's very, very punky, very raw, very rough, not much production value but like a real pop sensibility behind yeah. it. Um, and I think that's what I've kind of grown to love about it over the years. When, um, you, got in, when you got into this album, were you into heavier music in general? Because you're right, the production is so raw and you mm-hmm. can hear all the screeching and the feedback off the guitars basically rattle off the amp. And is your gripe maybe with Nevermind that it has a production with the view that Nirvana were going to go a bit more mainstream and yeah. that needed to cater to a bigger audience. Yeah, yeah, big time. And actually th- this kind of brought them to, I, I think Nirvana had the same problem and went, because when you listen to In Utero, their final album, they get still Steve Albini to produce it and it's got that much rougher edge back. And I think you could see they wanted to go back to that. And yes, like my appreciation of this album probably really came in when I was at uni 
uh, when I was about 18 or so. So I had the album already. But when I, when I got to uni, I, I kind of I started hanging around with people who generally just listen to slightly heavier music. So, yes, yeah. I did go through like a little phase where I got into like a lot of the bands that really inspired Nirvana, like Husker Du, um, for example, that kind of 80s almost uh, like not quite college rock but that early grunge scene mm. um and and through that you know like more commercial slightly heavier acts like rage against the machine smashing pumpkins yeah. like kind of got into that like post grunge scene as well but yeah i, I definitely went through a, I, you know i went through a stage where i like dyed my hair black and, and <laughs> like nice. wore like torn jumpers and stuff and i just i really went for the grunge bit for a while and and this this was the point where i thought no that this is like i love all of the nirvana output you know, including stuff like Incesticide, but this is the album that I keep coming back to. Is this the true Nirvana fans album? Do you feel then? You know, yeah. you're if you as the loyal fan, and, and you know, you must have <laughs> met a few of them over the years. Is this when you get together? You know, do you, is this? Do you say yeah. this is our album? Yeah, I think so. I think this is like the Nirvana hipster album. This yeah. is like you know, for the people who like grew their hair and uh, and all of yeah. that yeah I, I i think so this and and maybe in utero as well because in you to be fair like in utero it kind of has both of the elements of like never mind and bleach mm. um but yeah i i think like i know that this album wasn't huge at the time but yeah i i think this is a bit of a purist's album sure. and um i i definitely put myself in that kind of slightly wanky like if it was a manix <laughs> album like i'd be wearing a feather boa and like painting my nails <laughs> and you know like the real richie edwards crowd that's kind of how i feel about nirvana yeah um, and you mentioned as well that you know that you were about 18 and you, when you kind of properly discovered this and you were just starting uni so is is there like really specific memories in your head of where you were when you were listening to it constantly do you have yeah do, where yeah. does it take you to exactly so my um my best friend at uni who is who's still one of my best friends to this day um and one of the reasons we became best friends was nirvana um because he was a massive nirvana fan and actually he got me into tons more music that i'd never really heard of or never given the time of day before but the first thing we really bonded over was that we're both massive nirvana fans and so you know we'd 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 get together and like just sit there and like smoke and drink and listen to music like you should when you're at uni and you know we'd put this album on and you know I was I was I remember just sitting there wow this is and then I just remember kind of saying almost nervous I was like and I don't know if I was trying to impress him or anything I was like I think this is my favorite Nirvana album and he was like me too but I'm always afraid of telling people that And and I think it just like I don't know there's something and and I play guitar as well and like playing a lot of these songs it's I love it because they're all ridiculously easy it's all like three chord stuff and but it's it just sounds really heavy I remember like Kurt Cobain saying that like one of the biggest influences on this album were like the early Beatles records like with the Beatles and you know stuff like that that really like simple three chord she loves you yeah 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 stuff he he said that like that was a huge influence this record can really see it in songs like about a girl and even blue um and it's a cover but like love buzz is that's just that's that's a pop song that's just a pop song with a massive amp um and i think you just find that everywhere on this album and uh yeah it, it it really just takes me back to people i bonded with at university some of whom had like died dreadlocks you know just the kind of people i wasn't necessarily friends with at school but um but i I became very good friends with at uni 
Yeah. Fantastic. And if you had to uh, pick a favourite track, which one would it be? I think Blue, um, which is spelled B-L-E-W, for those that don't know. <laughs> uh, that's, that's um, I, I don't know, I just love it. Because the thing is about this album, right? Yeah. Is I, I don't think it doesn't have as many standout tracks as something like in, in Utero. I could point to five or six tracks and mm. say they're like brilliant classic Nirvana tracks. This doesn't have that quite as much, but as an album, it really fits together. It's only it's just over half an hour long as well. So it's really got that like old school Beatles kind of two minute pop song um, stuff going for it. But I think Blue, I think Blue possibly my favorite nirvana song it might not be but it's definitely my okay, favorite wow. on this album and i think i might be right in saying that isn't that in drop c so they they normally yep. they record in drop d but then they were just experimenting and accidentally found yep. yeah and, and and it's in so completely different tunings so, and they, then they then recorded quite a few other songs but then none of them made the album is what yes. I, yeah yeah i think they had one that was literally called f7 um, right just because that was like the main chord in the song. I, I can't remember if that ended up as a B-side or ended up as another song somewhere, but yeah, they, they were just, um, you're right, it's like mainly drop D, which to people who don't know, that's like the top string, you're putting yeah. the same tuning as the fourth string. Um, mm. And that's just, that's a feature of most like heavy rocks. So any yeah. like Rage Against the Machine, Smashing Pumpkin, like anything like metal or grunge, usually you drop D tuning. But yeah, this one was slightly different. Yeah. Indeed. Well, thanks, Tim, for bringing us um, Nirvana's Bleach, um, a record that me and Will knew, but again, a bit like Boyd on our previous podcast, a bit of an education to go listen to that from start to finish, because, yeah, I, I kind of knew in uh, in Utero and, and um, Nevermind a lot better. So, yeah, it's good to get the education on that. Um, let's move on to your, to your second record, and this is what I'm very excited for, because I am <laughs> a huge Radiohead fan, um, and a massive fan of In Rainbows. I think for me, it's a massive toss-up between that and OK Computer, but um, you've decided to bring in In Rainbows. Mm-hmm. Why have you chosen this record? The, the thing is with In Rainbows, for me, again, I'm a huge Radiohead fan. Um, love, you know, pretty much all of their albums. You know, maybe not yeah. so much the last two. There's good moments on those, but okay. they're not great albums. But this, to me, the thing I loved about this album, a few things. First of all, I think it's like the culmination of all of their work. So this came out in 2007. Yes. Probably at a point where you thought they were past their peak. They just brought out Hail to the Thief, which has five or six amazing tracks on it. And for me, yeah. four or five quite average. It's not a great album, yeah. but it's got great songs. And you think, okay, perhaps they're just starting to, you know, they've gone a little bit past the peak and they're going to be one of those bands that does great songs, but not great albums. And this is a great album and it's got lots and lots of great songs. To me, it's like the culmination of all of their work. It sounds like every Radiohead album, like smushed together. Yeah. It's just like they put all the Radiohead ingredients from like the Benz, OK Computer, and then Kid A and Amnesiac and all the experimental stuff they did. And they just stuck it all in one album. And it it was, it was just, it was perfect. And um, the other thing I loved about it was like, I was such a big Radiohead fan and this album dropped like all Radiohead stuff now dropped really randomly. It was Mm. just, um, Oh, we're releasing an album on Thursday. And, um, and you can pay what you want for it. Yes. And they did this whole like experimental thing around uh, what like you can you could you could pay one p if you wanted. Yeah. And um and it was 
And you know, that like it was obvious at that point, right, that people were downloading music and they weren't buying it anymore and they saw the the direction of travel. And so they did something interesting. But for me, it was the last time that like the release date of a record mattered yeah. because that doesn't really happen anymore. So you don't really get, um, and I'll talk about this a bit more on the next album because it's, it's a bit more obvious. You don't get that big like build up to the release okay. date. You don't go to HMV and buy the thing and take it home and all of that. And yeah. this felt like the last album where it was like, oh my God, this comes out on Thursday. I am excited for Thursday to get this album. And um, yeah, and, and so everything around it was just a lovely surprise. I was surprised at how good it was. And um, I, I think it's one of the best albums of the 21st century um maybe i i I don't disagree with you at all tim i can completely on side just to take you back to that moment then so it's the thursday it comes out you say um Mm. i i I mean i was definitely of the age to have listened to this at the time but i I wasn't really a massive radiohead fan then i've discovered them a bit later to university and by this time i was about 15 years old so um if we go back to when that album came out was it like a get up really early and listen to it kind of thing you know a little bit, but what was weird about it was at this point, I, I still wasn't really into, and, and to be fair, I've never truly got into the whole art of downloading music. I mean, obviously, that's how I buy my music, because that's pretty much the only way you can. Um, but this was real. like at this point, I was still buying CDs, right? Yeah. I was buying CDs, putting them on my computer and putting them on my iPod, which, you know, um, even at that time felt a bit odd. Um and so this was the first time like something actually came out online and I was a bit like, okay, how exactly do I do this? <laughs> it was like, really for me, it was like my first proper, but like I knew I was like, this, this is like, this is absolutely how music is going to be distributed now. I know that. So I need, I need to understand how to do this. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm making myself sound like I've, I was, I was 23 <laughs> when it came out. So like, yeah. you know, I, I was familiar with the internet and stuff like that. <laughs> And um, and I just remember like not because it was such a unique way of buying a record. I remember not really being sure of how to do it. And then when I'd done it, I was like, has this worked? Oh, yes, it has. And um, actually, initially, I paid a pound for it and um, I liked it so much that I went back and I downloaded it again and paid yeah. like 12 quid for it. It kind of what you'd pay for a yeah. CD at that yeah, point. Because yeah, yeah. I was like, OK, I, I love it. this. Yeah. This deserves like this de- this deserves at least just to pay um recommended retail price and so it was like the whole thing felt a little bit alien to me but when when like usually with radiohead albums they take a few listens yeah. um i find this one didn't this one just got me straight away it's yeah. just um it's just everything radiohead it's like it's big it's kind of dramatic it's like beautiful it's a bit melancholy and like some of the songs on it are just there's a song uh, track seven i think it is reckoner reckoner um, yeah which he just sings entirely in falsetto and it's it's just it's absolutely beautiful and i just remember being absolutely blown away by it from yeah. the first reckoner actually interesting was a, a song that they originally recorded a completely different song and then they just ripped it up and then they used the title on this album so it was around 2001 that they were going to record it but yeah they just used, decided to use the name for a different song so this is kind of typical of tom york um and and do you think then that this album 
it, it kind of um, w- w- was more less experimental, wasn't it, than the, uh, the other albums of the noughties? Do you think that's what kind of revitalised it, the band, and made it so great? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and and I, think, I think the thing is, with Radiohead, it didn't sound experimental for them because they'd, done, they'd been so experimental. Yeah that they could almost do anything. Um, like I remember the reaction when Kid A came out, which was a complete left turn oh, yeah. to OK Computer. And everyone just went, what is, like, <laughs> what is going on here? Like, what have they done? Yeah. And um, it was so bold at the time. And, uh, and this, you know, this was just, I think, a band who weren't experimenting anymore because they'd done everything. And so instead of experimenting and thinking, oh, let's make an electronic album or, you know, Amnesiac's got some real jazz aspects to it. They were just like, okay, we've done all of that now. So let's just stick it all (laughs) into like, now we can actually say that we do all of this music and we we kind of own it. And um, it just, it really, really reminds me of like, so my favorite recording artist ever is Bjork. Um, And I know that like Tom York is a massive Bjork fan. Yeah. And it sounds a bit like a Bjork record to me in that respect. And it's the same kind of principle in that she has done everything. And therefore, when she does something, she's not experimenting because you kind of you expect her to go somewhere. Yeah. Quite well. and, uh, and I think like this album is just it's just a great band who've hit complete maturity, complete yeah. confidence. And um, my only regret with this album is I, I wish it was their last one because right. and, and that's not to hate on the music they've released since it's King of just, Limbs and Moonshape Pool yeah 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 it's just I think this would have been the perfect like mic drop on their career it would have been the perfect way to say right that's it that's yeah. that's Radiohead and now we might release the odd song or an EP or like Tom York you know Tom York did a solo album was great as well yeah. but this 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 to me was just this this is I'd say this is a perfect record. Um, yeah, you don't get many. What is your favourite Radiohead album apart from this? Because it, it's always one mm. of those discussions that sparks a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of animosity, especially between me and Matt. Matt's an OK computer man. I, I argue. With I would ben, say I'm an OK computer man, but I mean, Rainbows is like my. It's between those two, right? But you're in, yeah. you're the Bends, aren't you? Yeah, for me, the Bends, and I mean Kid A. I have. Not on par with In Rainbows. I think In Rainbows is much more the consistent record, but I love Kid A as well, and I'm not as big an OK Computer fan as ever. But it's not about us. Tim, what, what, what's your verdict on the whole? So my, mine, would, mine would be Kid A, but um, I, I like electronic music. Um, like right. I said, I like Bjork. I, like, I love like DJ Shadow. Um, I love Aphex Twin. All of yeah. these artists that Tom York was very influenced by when he wrote that album, yeah. and Orteca, um and future, there's a band called Future Sound of London who used to make electronic music and then really randomly just turned into like a garage punk band um, at some point. But all of these kind of, um, all of these like electronic artists that, that Tom York was listening to and influenced by at that time, I, I really like. So like Kid A was kind of, was right up my street. I can't yeah. pretend it was when it came out in 2000 because when it came out in 2000, I wasn't as familiar with those artists and I yeah. was a bit like, what the hell have they done? This is nothing like I was expecting, but um, like pretty shortly after that, I kind of got into a lot of those artists. Yeah, there there are songs on Kid A that um, that that I think are, are mastered quite frankly. And do you, is there any fond memories of seeing them live over the years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them a few times, but um, I saw them tour in Rainbows in uh, Victoria Park in Hackney. Lovely. Um, 
in yeah so i think it was two, the summer of 2008 and yeah. uh, that was an absolutely incredible gig even better i was expecting a lot and it was better than i was expecting because radiohead some of their music shouldn't really translate into like a big open air gig but it really it really like i don't know how but they make some of it so like some of their songs like the more prog early song you think yeah that works to yeah. seventy thousand people in a field but some of it really shouldn't um but really really does and uh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that night um they played you and you and whose army and oh, well, off of, off of amnesia well, I, I love that song it's yeah amazing. yeah and like tom york was playing the piano and he had like a little like fishbowl type camera in the yeah. in the, the piano like looking up at his face he was just staring into it for the whole song and so he had like his big distorted face on the screen and uh and i, I think it was just as the song was going down it was it was perfect and everyone sang every word and yeah, yeah. that that was that was biblical sounds, sounds gorgeous um i can concur we my greatest ever glastonbury moment was seeing seeing radiohead uh, i think it's 2018 2018 how long ago was that yeah um and that was that was unreal but um i'm gonna hand over on the, on our final album choice as we mm. move on um thanks for oh should we just do the, your favorite track as well sorry yeah, on in rainbows track. yeah so my favorite track on in rainbows um is one called nude yes um which just has a lovely kind of bass track to it um and it's it's very very minimal it's just like a really really loud pronounced bass and you've got kind of johnny greenwood just noodling away in the background um it, it kind of sounds a bit like um like a funkadelic track um and then you've just got like tom york's falsetto over the top big dramatic strings and all of that and um yeah and and it, it's yeah. got a lovely like middle eight um that, that just like just takes the tempo of the song down and it's, it's wonderful amazing yeah so so for the third album you've gone for well certainly one of my favorites you've gone for definitely maybe by oasis mm-hmm. um obviously that their, their debut album and, and generally considered to be one of the greatest albums uh of all time um over with a slightly different question do you think this is their best album possibly two other contenders i wouldn't say there's a fourth personally but do you think mm-hmm. it is their best when you look at the track listing it can be hard to argue it's not. yeah yeah it, un- unquestionably unquestionably their best and um i i really wanted to put this in um not just because it's such an amazing album that like defined my teenage years but the, the reason i wanted to put it in was because i think it's kind of become a bit fashionable to say you don't like oasis for people to say they don't like oasis and um yeah. I, I i think it's become a bit of a thing um and it's bollocks um <laughs> quite frankly um and you know kind of growing up in the mid 90s they were they were just like it's difficult to explain how influential they were like people that had no interest in music or rock and roll music you know had like oasis t-shirts and grew their hair and they, they were like they were just everywhere absolutely everywhere and my personal journey to this album was slightly circuitous because i was 10 when it came out so like i wasn't old enough really to have that appreciation of because it's like again quite a quite a rocky album but by the time morning glory comes out i'm at secondary and oasis a massive massive phenomenon and everyone in the world owns what's the story morning glory and mm-hmm. knows all the songs so obviously i did and so then i, I kind of went back back to definitely maybe when i was a little bit older and probably a little bit more able to appreciate because you know 
I guess similar to Bleach, right? The way it's produced, it's live, it's quite raw. And if you watch the Supersonic documentary, you see they take great, great care to make sure that they really captured the live sound. Yeah, Mm. well, it's something something I wanted to to come onto with this album because I feel mm. it's the most important part of of the whole thing. Um, Certainly Owen Morris's input uh, and the Mm. way they brick wall each song. I I think Mm. if I could pinpoint the song that actually makes the sound of that album it would probably be columbia because i think it just sounds like no other song it just looms and it it just sounds like you're in sounds like a bit bit like you're underwater and Mm -hmm. then when the first chord of the guitar comes in it's just so heavy and so it just hits you like a rock um i asked the question a bit earlier with this discussion but what is your favorite track because i guess that will really set the discussion yeah yeah it it is columbia i think columbia is oasis it's my favorite oasis track And, and the thing is with this album is um it's wonderfully ordered um you know you kind of start with rock and roll star and then you know uh obviously like Live forever is a great song and you get like up in the sky yeah. and all of that and then the second half super and it, it kind of it boxes your ears a little bit but what i really like is actually the way it ends so you get um Diggs's dinner as track nine which yeah. kind of brings things not bring things down but it's like it's a slightly more like poppy happy song and then you get slide away which is really emotional and then i love the fact that it ends on married with children completely different to all the other tracks yeah but uh, like columbia for me it's it kind of the from the first time i heard it and it's still i must have listened to that song like ten thousand times in my life yeah and just that like the little wail of the guitars and then like when the drum comes in it's i i heard someone describe it as um like walking down the street and knowing that there's something really sinister around the corner yeah, <laughs> and, uh, perfect, and it does yeah. yeah you get that kind of okay i know that this this is going to kick off this has got a bit of and and i think the song just like completely defines the band in that it's kind of all at the same time and when you watch them on stage all at the same time it's really chaotic and kind of mad and lively but also really controlled there's like um it's like it's it's like a simmering um you know and like when you go and watch them live and i i will never as long as i live understand how a man who just stands still with his hands behind his back can like just be so transfixing on stage. <laughs> I've never understood yeah. how a band who do so little and move so little on stage can generate this kind of energy, but they do. And I think this song really encapsulates it's, I'd, I'd say like the song is almost like you've got a dog on a leash that's barking and barking and like ready to attack you, but it's on the leash still somehow. And that that's kind of, to me, Oasis at their best are like that. They've got that kind of simmering, anger but it's all like below the surface somehow and, and like columbia is beautifully as well and the lyrics are absolute nonsense they don't mean anything but at the same time that, that's another thing i've i've never understood about oasis like that none of their songs actually really mean anything but somehow you end up singing every single word and you, do, you don't know what you're singing and and maybe that's kind of the point and uh and i think what people struggle with with oasis is um they think about it too much and oasis is not about what it makes you think it's what it makes you feel Absolutely. and when a track like columbia comes on 
I, like the, I can't explain it. Like the adrenaline still builds up inside my body um, yeah. somehow. And it's, and, and this, that just happens all the way through. Yeah, you talked about track ordering there. Do you think they made one of the slight mistakes I made with the album is, is singling shaker maker, not only because it was a rip off of the Coca-Cola advert <laughs> and it cost them a lot of money. Um, but it was, I mean, to the outsider, just quite weak in, in comparison mm. to some of the other songs, especially with an opener like an opener like Rock and Roll Star, which for me is the perfect album opener. You know, mm. it, it's everything they actually go on to be. You know, cocky kids in their own city, um, owning every street they walk down, and then you get onto Shaker Maker, who, which, like you say, the lyrics are just quite nonsense mm. in that song, and maybe perhaps a weak single, and they could have made a better choice on that. Front. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I think there's a case that it's possible. Like, and this is obviously a very relative statement. It's possible Possibly the weakest track on the album. Um, I think Oasis did this quite a lot. When you look at some of the songs they didn't release, like they didn't oh, it's, release, it's, it's madness, yeah. Yeah, they didn't release Champagne Supernova only in um, US and Australia. You know, like why wouldn't you release that as a single? And some of the stuff they released off Be Here Now is far inferior to some of the albums. I kind of think they've always done that. Um, and and yeah, like 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 Shaker Mate, it, it's it's a great song. They're all great songs, but. It's like it's got nothing to me on like slide away yeah. um, or bring it on down, uh, which I think Alan McGee wanted that to be the first single. Bring he, he it on did, down. Yeah, he did, and, and they they disagree. They had a big dis on that. Yeah, and and I kind of agree with Alan McGee um, on that one. But um, and and when you consider like whatever as well was just a single that didn't end up on the album. Like imagine if definitely maybe it was twelve tracks and it had whatever on the end because that song was written um all around the world was written in the definitely maybe sessions but they yeah. parked it for a couple and some of their b-sides you look at you look at the b-sides to some of these singles and you know like um it's good to be free uh i think was a b-side to no that might be whatever but like they've got they've got so many b-sides during this, do you this think that do you think that was do you think that was just pure arrogance to go we'll build them all up put them on the master plan and let everyone see how many good b-sides we've got or do you think it was just misjudgment simple misjudgment because of course on, on some might say which was um coincidentally he was 25 years old this week acquiesce mm. was a b-side to that yep. and and you put acquiesce into any oasis album with the way that song sounds even talk tonight which is a b-side to that as well mm -hmm. um do you think it was just misjudgment or do you think they were made perhaps ill-advised or was it just sheer arrogance to go this is our back catalogue by the way have listened to this I, th I think it was probably all of those things like I, d I don't think i don't imagine they were the type of band who had like meetings and really really discussed what to release yeah. and what not to um i imagine a lot of the time they got a bit sick of each other and we'll put we'll put those there and that, that's kind of fine because um, you know I imagine they all annoyed each other quite a bit and like the dynamics of the band are very very you know were very difficult and very tense and, and it was part of what made them so good but um, yeah I, I think it's kind of all of those things I remember when they released the master plan and Noel kind of said you know like I think he said something like we're the best band in the world and if there were a band who had our B-sides, they would be the second best band in the world. You know, it was, it was just <laughs> like, you know, the master plan comes out and you're just like, this, this is incredible album, like in its own right, um, yeah. with this collection of songs. And 
and yeah and it, and it's quite weird you know because um noel doesn't sing on definitely maybe at all but he has a few b-sides in that era and it's a really and this even so this track i'm about to talk about didn't even end up on the master plan but um it's a song called do you want to be a spaceman yeah which um, isn't which, which is still to this day it's a demo it was yeah. never released properly was it it was yeah, still the yeah. demo version yeah yeah and, and i can't remember if it was on shaker maker or Sonic, but like do you want to be a spaceman would have been that, that would not have been out of place on definitely maybe and it didn't even make their b-sides which you know kind of tells you a lot about their output but I, yeah. I i think the thing for me with this album like um and the reason i really wanted it here was because this is like in terms of its influence on me and my life the most mm. influential album ever like I, I was a mad Oasis fan all the way through my teen. Mm. Um, I, like, I Did changed you get my stick head. for that at all down south? Were you, you know, in the, <laughs> no, in the no, no. Era? Well, do you know what? Maybe a little bit, right? A little, because I grew my hair and yeah. I started shopping in Carnaby Street. Um, and I, like, I went for it in a big way. Yeah. But the, 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 thing, the thing about this album and I guess this band was that I was and still am like quite a shy, kind of quiet introverted kind of person but when i was a kid like people took that as a weakness and Mm. i was a pushover and like it it is no exaggeration to say that oasis changed my attitude Mm. towards things and i like i got i started to get that rebellious streak i started to get that yeah i'm gonna grow my hair and people are gonna take the piss but i don't care um and they kind of they just i don't know like it, it just it gave me this great kind of confidence and it just made me think which is a great thing like when you're 14 15 for a band to do that for just to make you think oh yeah no do you know what like like listen to rock music and smoke cigarettes and you know go and like ask people to buy you beer in the off license and you know just kind of generally live life a little bit like it 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 brought me out of my shell I think uh, everyone has that one band, don't they? That kind of yeah. has that effect on their life and that profound effect on life. And yeah, I yeah. guess for a lot of people, you know, around your age, Oasis is is definitely going to be that band because look yep. at them. They were incredible. Yeah. Just one more thing on the technical side of the album just before mm. we round off. Um, I, I guess someone who in the production of that album gets maybe a bit of unfair stick is Tony McCarroll. Um, yeah. And certainly what went on legally was the end of his tenure within Oasis. Do you think it would would have sounded slightly better if someone like Alan White was drumming? Or do, do you think that Tony McCarroll was just actually fine for the pure, you know, raw, raw nature of the album? Yeah, I, so I... I think it was fine personally. I never saw them live with Tony McCarroll. I saw them live several times with Alan White and um, a couple of times with Zach Starkey. Yeah. Um, and so, like, from what I hear um, in the studio, Tony McCarroll was a, a source of frustration. But obviously, like, in the production process, you don't really see and hear that. Like, I tend to think that being the drummer of Oasis is not a hugely difficult job. <laughs> um you know, like in, in, as far as drumming goes, like, I don't think like, but like, again, like playing guitar and all of that Oasis songs are the easiest songs to play in the world. Yeah. Uh, probably even easier than Nirvana. <laughs> um, and I don't play the drums, but like when I listen to some of the, the, the tracks on this album, like bring it on down, I don't know. It really does just sound like a guy thumping drums, which yeah. is, which is great. Um, like there aren't a lot of fills in it or anything like that. So, I mean, to me, it's not an enormous problem because um, I wouldn't consider any of the members of the band technically to be great. I mean, Liam's a great singer. Um, 
I don't think that's a technical thing. I think he just happens to have that talent, but none of them are great technically. Um, and I don't think like Alan White was amazing or anything. So, I mean, for me, not a huge problem. It just like, I, I think like Noel just kind of doesn't get on with drummers. And that's, <laughs> that's why like um, drummers don't tend to survive in Oasis. Yeah, I think as, as documented by him, I think it was in Supersonic where the moment where he goes, you know, I don't really care what, what how he plays drums. You know, what does he wear? Is he, has he got Ben Sherman on? Or so yeah, he look yeah, good? yeah. <laughs> and that was Noel's attitude towards drummers. But um, and we've been over your favourite track, Columbia. So I, I guess that brings to a close discussion. But Tim, thanks so much for bringing those albums on with you. It's um, a pleasure to chat to you. A really insightful, and I'm sure. Absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank Great. you. Wow, what that, that, that was like an encyclopedia in a podcast. That, that man knows fantastic. everything yeah. there is to know about those records. The the, the technical accuracy of, of Tim's thoughts, I thought, was absolutely fantastic. And again, we, oh, we no. don't want to sound like sycophants because we both know quite well, but that was such a fascinating listen to the techniques of why he likes those albums. I was especially, um, I really enjoyed the part about In Rainbow, where he, the release date meant so much to on that day and going back and paying the 12 quid yeah. after, just after being Shakespeare <laughs> and paying the pound. Um, I imagine you as your favourite albums. Oh, I absolutely love that. And, you know, what? And, and, and it was great to hear, you know, a, a different take on Nirvana from a big Nirvana fan as well, um, with Bleach being his favourite record, but also obviously Oasis. Like I said on, on the pod there to Tim, like everyone's got that one band. Obviously, mine would be, be Arctic Monkeys. At 14, 15, you need a band like that to come into your life and yeah, change and, and, and change your outlook change on everything. Minds. Exactly. I think with, with with the Nirvana chat, it, it, it sort of um, it made me feel you know everyone's a Nirvana fan until the real Nirvana fan walks into the yeah. room, and that's what it felt like. <laughs> it you was... know, because we, 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 we we're talking about Nirvana, me and you would go, yeah, Bleach is okay, but really we like the. Lights we, well, we'd or we'd be like, yeah, oh no, Inutero, yeah, what well, you listen to, never mind, I like Inutero, and then the guy comes in with Bleach, and you're like, Bleach, okay. and you're like, okay, wow, <laughs> fantastic. And uh, obviously, I thoroughly enjoyed the Oasis chat. I think it's one of my favourite albums of all time. And yeah, um, I could see I, you were, yeah, you were fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much to look in, but I think t- the, the the point that hit home with Tim, uh, that Tim made was the, the the simplicity of it as well. You know, he said, you know, none of them were technically amazing in his opinion, but when you put them all together, it's just one of the best That's records Oasis, ever produced. And, and I think I I, can, I love I'm just on personal. I love the opener to that album. Yeah. I think it just sums up everything that Oasis went on to be. But um, we will be back next time um, yeah, with, with, another... Another, with another episode of the record store but for now it's goodbye see you later bye bye thanks for listening to the Mad Sounds podcast if you're on Spotify please hit the follow button or if you're listening on an Apple podcast hit the subscribe button to get the latest episode of the podcast straight to your phone as soon as we release it 